We're going to finish up 3 John today. We only have a couple of verses to go. The title of the message is Friends. 3 John, verses 13 and 14. I had many things to write, says John, to his friend Gaius, but I did not wish to write to you with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly, and we shall speak face to face. Peace to you. Our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. And you think, how's he going to get a message out of that? I guess we'll find out. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for these great studies we've had in 1 John, 2 John, and now the one chapter, this little short letter, John 3, to his friend Gaius. Lord, we thank you for the, the riches and the depth of your word that even within what might appear to be the most insignificant verses, there's still a lot to be gleaned, a lot to be learned. We ask you to bless this study this morning as we talk about the subject of friends. And again, thank you for a new year to live for you, to serve you, to love you, to follow after you, and to have good Christian friends in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So John says, I had many things to write. And at the end of his gospel, he says, boy, if we were to write down everything that Jesus did just during his earthly ministry, John says all the libraries in the world could not contain the volumes that would be written. So we know that within John's heart and mind and his personal experience as one of the 12 apostles, there was so much there beyond what we even have in our New Testament. But the good news is when we see Jesus face to face, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we will know him even as we are now known. Can you imagine? Think of the depths of how Christ knows us, right? He's our creator. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And even in our youth, when we have a full head of hair, the Bible says the very hairs on our head are numbered. And but one day, everything that he knows will be transmitted to us. So we're going to obviously need some kind of a new supernatural brain to hold all that information. Right now, if, the, if all that information was imparted to us, we'd probably explode. I had many things to write. So Gaius was John's dear friend, dear, dear friend. And he said, I have, I have a lot to talk about with you. But his desire was to discuss them in person rather than by, at that point in time, what is now known as snail mail. That's the regular postal service. It's, even before we had email, it was still snail mail, especially from Albuquerque. Anything going in and out of Albuquerque, have you noticed it like it takes forever? But, of course, what are our modern means of communication? Texting, email, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And, you know, again, anytime man comes up with something that's considered to be progress... There's always a downside. I think we talked about this just not too long ago. The downside is people often get misinterpreted. And, you know, people have lost relationships, jobs, all kinds of things have gone sour because of the miscommunications through our modern 
technology, the social media, texting, email, Twitter, and so forth. Uh, and if you accidentally hit the, uh, the capital tab and you send an email and all, all the letters are capitalized, people think you're yelling at them, right? That technically means you're yelling. But what if you just accidentally hit the tab? And then the person on the other end gets the email in all caps and they think, forget that jerk, I'm done with him. There's no opportunity for body language, facial expression. I guess now some people do the, uh, what do you call it, FaceTime. But even then, I don't think that's all that reliable. Because a lot of times you look weird, don't you? You look kind of distorted and out of shape. and It's really hard to get your whole body in a FaceTime. So even in John's day, when the only means of communication other than face-to-face was to send a letter, which in those days could take quite a while to arrive, he said, I got a lot of things to talk to you about, but I don't want to do it in a letter. I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink. And of course, now, I don't know if anybody even hardly writes anymore. Everybody texts and types and but they, their pens were obviously a lot more crude than what we have today. It was a reed, it was pointed at the end, and the ink was made of charcoal, gum, and water. So even to write a letter, which today, if we choose to do so, is relatively easy, although, again, it's becoming a lost art, I think, in many instances. A little more laborious in John's day to sit down and write a letter But I think we can all agree, some things are best discussed up close and personal. Man, we could avoid a lot of problems. Of course, the enemy's strategy is to divide and conquer. Anything he can do to divide us, separate us, turn us against one another, he will do it. And the the most effective way is to do it through what appears to be progress, right? Progress. And again, exponentially over the past hundred years or so, a little over a hundred years, the late 1800s, the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, which then has given way now to the technological revolution, if you will, the amount of knowledge that's been amassed over the past 100, 120 years is more than, it's more than the combined knowledge that was gained up until that point throughout the entire course of human history. There's been an acceleration, and interestingly enough, This is just a little side note. We like to throw those in now and then. In Daniel chapter 12, Daniel had been given a revelation concerning the end times. And when he asked for further explanation, you know, if you want to when you get home, you can look at Daniel 12. But the angel tells Daniel, no, 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 go your way, Daniel, because these things will be closed up In other words, they won't be fully understood or revealed until the end of time. And there were two distinctives that the angel gave Daniel that would enable whoever's alive at that time to identify the time that they were living in as the last days. One was that knowledge would increase. And again, of course, throughout human history, man has gained more knowledge as he studies the world in which he lives and studies the Holy Scriptures. But again, the, the uh, point is, the vast, incredible, mind-boggling expansion and explosion of knowledge which has taken place 
over the past 120 years, and even more so in, in our lifetime. For most of us here today, it's gotten to where you can barely keep up with it on a daily basis. The moment you buy some kind of a, you know, a technological device, computer, laptop, cell phone, iPad, tablet, you name it, by the time they hit the store, they're almost already outdated. That's how fast technology is moving. And I believe that that's one of those two key signs that God, through the angel, gave the message to Daniel what to look for. And when these two things were happening, that's when the understanding of the end times information contained in the Old and New Testament would be fully revealed, as we're seeing even now. Uh, we have a greater understanding of prophecy than we've ever had before. Not that the information wasn't there, it's just that because we are now in that time, which the Bible predicted, the full understanding is, is being made known to us. That was one thing, an increase in knowledge. And number two, people would travel to and fro. Now keep in mind, when Daniel wrote that, way back several thousand years ago, they had horses, camels, Donkeys, ships, boats. If you needed to get from one landmass to another and cross a body of water, you did that via a boat, a ship, right? Other than that, your only mode of transportation was to walk or ride upon a beast of burden. So this emphasis on people traveling to and fro would be that there would be a massive explosion in travel and transportation. Prior to the 20th century, the fastest man had ever been able to go was 25 miles per hour. Now man can go 25,000 miles per hour in a space shuttle. Would you call that a massive explosion in speed of travel, transportation? You know, you can fly from L.A. to Sydney in like 12, 14 hours. So you can get halfway around the world in half a day. That is a massive explosion in transportation. So the two key signs that Daniel was given whereby we could identify the last days have happened. Many things to write. Don't wish to write with pen and ink. So we have a challenge you know, it seems like, I remember, you know, back in the 60s, yes, I was there, and I actually remember it. <laughs> you know, I, all the time I hear people say, oh, yeah, if you, if you remember the 60s, you weren't there. <laughs> well, I was there, and I remember, because I decided early on, I don't want to fry my brain. I like my brain. Works good, I think. You might not agree. And um, so I didn't delve into the heavier drug activity that many of my peers did. So I remember it. And it was really a time, you know, Mar Dr. Martin Luther King, that was earlier, of course, in the, you know, the early 60s, civil rights movement, a uh, real concerted effort to bring people together of all colors, all backgrounds, and so forth. You know, the, the hippie generation of the 60s, whether you indulged in the... Uh, psychedelic aspects or not, there was this idea of peace and love, right? 
I've seen a minor emergence of the peace symbol. I noticed uh, over the holidays, I saw several people who had lighted peace symbols up as part of their Christmas lighting. But that was a time of, hey, let's make love, not war, and all that, you know. There was just a, an idea that we were really going to, you know, there's even a song, come on, people, now smile on your brother. Everybody get together. Try to love one another right now. A lot of lo- songs about love. Even some, you know, Christian-oriented songs on the secular radio that were popular. And it seemed like, you know, there was a crossover between generational divisiveness. Chuck Gerard, love song, did a song, Little Country Church. Long hair, short, short hair, some coats and ties. People finally coming around, you know, talk, looking past the hair and straight into the eyes and all that. And again, talking about, and I, when I was a young believer, 19, 20 years old, I went to home fellowship groups with people who were two, three times my age. There was just a real, what seemed like, a coming together of ethnicities and generations and so forth. And right now what we're witnessing in our world is the exact opposite. One might ask oneself the question, what happened? What went wrong? Well, for one thing, in the aftermath of that true Christian revival known as the Jesus movement, what typically happens over a period of time is some apathy set in, some complacency, some lethargy. Let's just be honest, particularly, at least in America, the fire that we saw in people back then is not here now. But you know what? That's the real test. When people are no longer all fired up and all stoked up and Man, you know, are you still going to hang with Jesus? Are you still going to hang with God? Are you going to throw in the towel just because people are becoming more apathetic, lethargic, complacent? Are you going to stick with Jesus? I am. How about you? This is something that has happened down through the, the history of the church. Times of revival. You know, the Bible talks about those times in the desert, times in the wilderness, seasons. We go through seasons in our own personal lives. We also go through seasons in the church. When I speak of the church, I mean the the whole big body of Christ. But, again, I think another sign of the last days is we are seeing more and more divisiveness, more and more separation. That's Satan's strategy. Divide and conquer. And I think one of the Again, I, I use technology as much as anybody, I would suspect. But I do think one of his best tools, if you will, is all the social media. You know, I even, what is it? Is it Vermont? Or one of those uh, New England states is trying to pass a law where kids under 21 aren't allowed to use a cell phone. Did you hear about that? <laughs> it's, it's so typical that after they get everybody addicted on this stuff, then they come back a few years later and they start saying, well, maybe it's not so good for us. You know, They talk about how too much time on all these electronic devices is altering kids' brains. Oh, oops. <laughs> oops. <laughs> but again, it's just like the drug dealer. You know, get you hooked on cocaine or meth or whatever. But he wouldn't dare touch the stuff, right? Because he knows it'll kill you. 
So that's the predicament we're in. John says, I don't want to communicate with pen and ink, text, email, Twitter. I want to do it face to face. Verse 14, I hope to see you shortly. Now, some people would say, wow, that's a negative confession, John. You hope to see him shortly? Why can't you just name it and claim it? I'm going to be there in the name of Jesus. No, John hoped to see Gaius shortly. He knew that all things are subject to God's will and God's timing. Isn't that how we should be living our lives? Life is so much better. We talked last week about taking one day at a time. Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Today has enough problems of its own. Take one day at a time. And how much more calm and peaceful we would be and even more lacking in anxiety if we approach life from this viewpoint. I hope to see you shortly, but hey, whatever God wills. James 4, 13 through 15. James takes people to task for this very issue. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. I, just the other day, I can't remember who it was, I saw somebody and I said, hey, I guess I'll see you Sunday. I said, Lord willing. And he said, yeah, Lord willing. And that's really how we ought to live our lives. Everything's subject to God's will. John recognized that. His heart's desire was to see Gaius face to face, elaborate on some of the things that he wanted to talk about. I hope to see you shortly. And we shall. Now that part John can be sure of. If and when it happens, I hope so, I hope it happens soon, that I can see you Gaius. And when it does, we shall speak face to face. So there's this balance in our lives between subjecting every aspect of our lives to the will of God and at the same time being able to be decisive about certain things. Be able to make good choices, right choices, trusting God to back us up on those choices. And I do believe, as you've heard me say many times, that God empowers right choices. Sometimes there's things we have to do that we just don't want to do. Anybody else experience that? But if we can make that choice, make that decision, I know this is what I need to do, God, please help me. He will. He will. We shall speak face to face. No better way to communicate. Looking into one another's eyes, reading each other's body language. Again, it's not always a pleasant thing, but it's the best way to get to the heart of the matter, isn't it? Better than just speculating about what someone may be thinking or feeling, when we talk to them face to face, we can get a much better read on what's happening. Sadly, especially in today's world, I think oftentimes we go through life operating under false assumptions about what other people are thinking, saying, doing, because we don't have the kind of direct communication that we ought to have. Again, if somebody lives far away, it's a blessing to have these other 
means of communicating. But whenever possible, it's even better to be able to communicate face-to-face. So many broken relationships over miscommunication and misunderstandings. Anybody ever experienced that? It's heartbreaking. It's a sad thing when you know that what they think you meant is not what you meant. When they think what you said is not what you really said. And now there's a break there and you cannot connect with them to repair it. Even, again, even in face-to-face communication that can happen, but it's less likely to happen when we can talk to someone face-to-face. John greatly desired to see his friend face-to-face and to further discuss matters of great consequence to the health and well-being of Gaius' church as well as Gaius' own personal life. In 3 John verse 2, he said, Beloved or dear friend, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. John loved this man, wanted the very, very best for him in his own personal life as well as in his church. And so he longed to be with him and to discuss things that could help further him down that path. And so then he gives what was a very common greeting or benediction. I guess in Hawaii it's aloha, right? That can be hello, that can be goodbye. For the Jews, as well as Christians, in the early church, shalom, peace, common greeting or benediction. John is wishing for his friend to live in peace, be at peace, the peace that passes all understanding, as we talked about last week, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. I'll read it again. Do not be anxious about anything. By the way, in the Greek it means anything. We don't have permission from God to be anxious about anything, but that doesn't stop us from sometimes being anxious, right? But God's perfect will for our lives is that we would have no anxiety. Don't, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. Some people have this attitude, oh, I don't want to bother with God, God with that. He's so busy. <laughs> First of all, I don't think God gets busy, do you? God is God. He's got everything under control. There's no problem too small or too big. He wants us to bring it all to him in everything. You lost your keys? I know I always pray. Lost your wallet? I guess I'm just off the cuff throwing out all the things that I always lose. Lost your phone? Usually it's like in one of my pockets. And I'm walking around the house looking for my phone and I'm telling, asking my wife, have you seen my phone? And all of a sudden I'll reach down and there it is. I shouldn't admit that because you're going to think that I've got dementia. <laughs> and maybe I do. <laughs> oh, Lord. I would just like some young person to come up and tell me, I have the same problem. <laughs> and then I'll feel better. I probably always have been a little absent-minded because my mind is going in so many different directions at once. Everything by prayer and petition. Remember we talked about last week, petition is humbly pleading. And not too often, but every once in a while, I'll find myself, you know, just, hey God, I'm begging you. I don't do that a lot because I don't want to act like I don't appreciate what he's done for me already. 
and that I don't have faith in them. But once in a while, when it's something really, really heavy, really important, I might use the word beg. And that's what petition is. It's humbly, pleading humbly. It's okay to plead with God. As long as in the end, you're trusting Him that His perfect will is what's best for you. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. In everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, and we talked about this last week too, coming with a thankful heart, present your request to God and the peace of God, shalom, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And that's where we're most vulnerable. Do you know that? Our greatest vulnerability is our hearts and our minds, which are interconnected, by the way. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our brains, our, our minds, and our hearts are connected, and that's where we're most vulnerable. That's where deception occurs. Jesus said it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, it's what comes out. So we need the Holy Spirit to be the guardian of our hearts and our minds. And when we bring everything, not holding anything back, trusting God with everything in every area of our lives, He promises to guard our hearts and minds with His transcendent peace. And here's where I want to get into the part about friendship. Because what we're studying here in 3 John is a letter from John to a dear friend. And he says, I long to see you face to face, to be with you, to talk about many things. Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times. That means a friend loves you when you're doing the right thing. A friend loves you when you're doing the wrong thing. You've heard the expression, fair weather friend. A friend loves you when you are poor. And they have the same genuine love for you when you're prospering. They don't all of a sudden become more friendly than they were when you had nothing. The friendship is steady. It's steadfast. It's not impacted or affected by circumstances. A friend loves at all times. A friend loves you when you're healthy. A friend loves you when you're sick. It's a lot like the marriage vows, you know, for richer for poorer in sickness and health. Because a true friendship, it's not the same as a marriage because a friendship could be with a man or a woman, although I believe primarily men should be close friends with men and women should be close friends with women. David had Jonathan. Jesus had Peter, James, and John. It's not necessarily a good idea to have close, quote, friendships with people of the opposite gender, especially if you're married. Your best female friend should be your wife. Your best male friend should be your husband. And that's where a lot of people get into trouble as well. But there is a correlation between the marriage relationship, which is a covenant, and a true friendship, which is also... And again, we can't have many, many, many close, deep friendships. In Proverbs it says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. 
Now, we can be friendly, amiable, affable with all of our brothers and sisters in Christ, but we're probably going to have a few close friends, and that's okay. I think that's a God-ordained thing. Again, just like David had Jonathan, Jesus had Peter, James, and John. But there is definitely a connection or correlation. It's like it is a covenant also. Don't doubt for a moment that David and Jonathan were in a covenant relationship. It's a covenant relationship. A friend loves at all times. And as you might suspect, it actually takes some time and some effort to cultivate that kind of a relationship. And a brother is born for adversity. It could be a biological brother, but it could also be a spiritual brother. A true friend, a true brother, be he biological or spiritual, is there when there's adversity, when things aren't going so well, when you need support, when you need backup. And we're reminded again of 1 Peter 4, 8, above all things have fervent love for one another, for love will cover over a multitude of sins. Now, we know that in terms of forgiveness of sin, uh, redemption, salvation, only the blood of Christ can take care of that. But as we talked about last week, and my wife asked me a question this morning about last week's message, and I said, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Nobody will hold you accountable as a pastor, preacher, teacher like your own family members. My kids used to quote stuff all the time from my messages. Just shut up. (laughs) Not not really, I didn't say that. But, um, or maybe I did. (laughs) My wife says, can you really sin in your dreams? Because I said that last week, remember? I said, we sin all the time. We even sin in our dreams. uh, And I, I was just thinking about probably at one time or another, all of us have had some kind of a dream where we were doing something we shouldn't be doing. So, I mean, you could say, hey, I just sinned in my dream. That's not a theological statement, okay? There's no Bible verse about sinning in your dreams, all right? But I was just trying to make the point that we sin all the time. Not because we want to, but because we have a dual nature. On the one hand, we're a new creature in Christ Jesus. All the old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We're born again. But as we talked about so many times when we studied the book of Romans, the old man is always trying to rise up from the grave like a zombie. You know, and as long as we live in this world, we're going to be battling the flesh. It's a daily battle. And so when Peter says love, agape, and here he's talking about the body of Christ having agape, unconditional love for one another that will cover a multitude of sins, he's not saying that 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 will obtain for us the salvation that Christ has purchased on the cross, but it helps cover up all the stupid things we all do and say every day. If I agape you and you agape me, then I'm not going to get offended when you say something that maybe you shouldn't have said or do something you shouldn't have done. We're going to love each other, and that love is going to cover those things up. And that's how we avoid division and strife in the body of Christ. Legalism requires that everybody around me be perfect, even when I'm not. You see? That's legalism. I hold myself to a lower standard than what I hold you to. That's not agape. That's selfishness. That's the flesh. 
So above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Friendship. And apparently, from God's perspective, the title, friend, that might not sound like such a big deal to you and I. The titles that really impress us are like CEO, president, you know, Academy Award winning actor, Grammy winning musical artist. Those are the titles that impress many people. Billionaire, you know, Silicon Valley. But apparently, from God's perspective, the title friend is the greatest honor that can be bestowed upon a person. Second Chronicles 27. Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? That was a great distinction bestowed upon Abraham that he was called the friend of God. Not that he was the sheikh of the deserts of Canaan, you know, the possessor of much wealth and property. No, Abraham, your friend. Isaiah 41.8, But you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, the great patriarch. No. Abraham, my friend, says God. Wow. Can you think of anything better than being called God's friend? James 2.23, the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So if you want to be like Abraham, you also want to be the friend of God. You have to be righteous. God can't befriend evil or wickedness. So Abraham, first of all, what did Abraham do? He got his act together, man. No. He didn't. Have you read the book of Genesis? Abraham did not always have his act together, right? Twice he betrayed his wife and almost got her basically raped, portraying her as his sister to keep himself out of trouble. Father Adam did hand down his genes, did he not? <laughs> but what happened was, Abraham did one very simple thing. He believed God. He believed, do you believe God? Amen. Amen. So then what happens when you believe him, and again, you believe everything in his holy scriptures, when he tells you that his son Jesus is the only begotten of the Father, that he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and if you put your faith in Christ, and his blood which was shed on the cross for your sins, if you confess your sins and repent of your sins, the Holy Spirit will come and live inside of you. You'll be born again. You'll receive the precious gift of eternal life. When you believe God, what happens next? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. What did I just say a minute ago? You can't be God's friend when you're in an unredeemed, evil, wicked state. But Abraham believed God, then God accounted that faith, that belief, as righteousness. Well, guess what? Now you can be God's friend because you have received his righteousness. He's accounted your faith as righteousness. And then what happened? He believed, 
He received the righteousness. He was called the friend of God. John 15, 13 through 15. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants. Now, we can call ourselves servants, and we should. Paul identified himself as the bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's our place to humble ourselves before him, but then he very graciously elevates us to another level of not servanthood, but friendship. I no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends for all things that I heard from my Father, I've made known to you. See, as I mentioned many times, these false belief systems, these cult groups and so forth, their whole thing, everything's wrapped in secrecy and mysticism. And if you want to really know the real scoop, you've got to come into the inner sanctum and be indoctrinated and initiated like, you know, like the Mason, Freemasons and so forth. People don't find out what they're really all about until they get to like the 33rd level or something. And they find out, um, they often present themselves as believers in God, Christians, what have you. But when you get into the inner sanctum, you find out that their God is Lucifer. And that's true in so many of these groups. And they won't tell you that until they get you fully in there, indoctrinated, initiated, and brainwashed. God has determined to make all things known to us. The apocalypsis, the unveiling. Jesus came to make all things known to us, and that's what a friend does, right? That's what friends are for. To share our hearts, to open up, knowing that we can trust them because a friend loves at all times. They won't take that information and turn it against you and use it against you. Yes, a good friend will hold you accountable, but they won't use that information to assassinate you. So then finally, John says, greet the friends there, not just Gaius, but the other friends by name. Eusebius, Erasmus, Erastus, Apollonia, Priscilla. These are some of the names we find of believers in the New Testament. Greet the friends there by name. Our beloved brother John sends you greetings. And again, sadly, well, let's just say that there are those particularly of higher acclaim in the church today that don't seem to have the time of day for the little guy. That certainly wasn't the case with the Apostle John. I've had friends and associates who've been disappointed as we've gone to certain gatherings, conferences, what have you, and they're all excited to meet their favorite hero. And when the opportunity arises, that person just ignores them. That's a sad thing. That's a sad thing. When our Lord and Savior got down on his hands and knees and washed the disciples' feet, and some of the Christian bigwigs don't have time to say hello to somebody. That's just a little side note. John certainly wasn't like that. In 3 John 1.11, we read last week, John says, Do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Paul said, Be imitators of me, even as I imitate Christ. 
So we got to be careful. And that's one of the things that's helped me to understand some of what I've seen as people in the pulpit who appear to be misguided. But I, I realize, you know, they're just following the examples that they were given. And unfortunately, if you start out with a bad example, then chances are you're going to follow in those footsteps. So I would encourage each one here today. And again, sometimes I'm concerned, I have to be honest, I'm concerned about the fact, this goes back to the technology again. There are so many believers that listen to anything and everything out there all day long on what is called Christian radio, Christian TV, the internet. And they become so saturated with all this stuff, they really don't even know what they believe anymore. You can't trust everything you see and hear on the TV, the radio, the internet. That's why God created the church, the body of Christ, the local church, where we can have relationship and accountability and, again, face-to-face. And so what's another thing we have going on today? More and more churches having multiple campuses, screens, you know. And people becoming addicted to this stuff. They watch screens all week long at home, so they love going to church where they just watch a screen. I think I'm identifying some of the reasons today why the church is weaker now than it may have been 20, 30 years ago. Again, Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes... Will he find faith on the earth? The enemy's goal is to bamboozle us into thinking that the church is something that it may no longer be. That it's become more hype than hallelujah. But here we are, and here we'll stay. Amen? Let me read these few words from Michael W. Smith's old song. One of his first songs, I believe, one of his first recordings, but a great song called Friends. It was written about a friend of his that was moving away. He says, friends are friends forever if the Lord's the Lord of them. And that makes all the difference in the world. It's impossible to have as close of a relationship with a non-believer as you can have with another believer. Because there's a depth there of our common. We talked about communion, I believe, last week. Having all things in common. Sharing. Having that common faith in Christ. Friends are friends forever if the Lord's the Lord of them. And a friend will not say never because the welcome will not end. Though it's hard to let you go. In the Father's hands we know that a lifetime's not too long to live as friends. Let's stand. Father, we ask for your help this morning. We know that there are positive benefits to the technology that we have in our world today. We can learn, we can study your word. There's a lot of good online helps for that. There are ways to communicate with people that we could not otherwise communicate with. We can even get your word out around the world through the uh, internet and so forth. But we know there's a downside that it does seem to sometimes hinder relationships that uh, perhaps we should be more like the Apostle John, more determined to have more 
face-to-face contact with our friends, our family, our neighbors. We know the enemy's goal is to divide us. Jesus said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Lord, help us to learn how to be better friends to one another. Lord, there's a desperate need in our world today for more friendship, fellowship, relationship. Those here today that's uh, sad, brokenhearted, struggling over broken relationships, we pray that you would strengthen them, comfort them, give them wisdom on how those relationships might be repaired. We thank you, Father, for calling us your friends. What an amazing thing. What an amazing thing to be called a friend of God. Help us to cherish that and treasure that and give that the the worth and the value that it deserves. And Lord, we pray now as we just take time to sing a little bit as we close that you would just pour out your spirit upon us and that those who need ministry might come and receive ministry this morning. Prayer, the laying on of hands. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.